Hello, everybody. This is the Power Slam podcast being recorded on May 7th, 2018. My name is Brendan Dennis. I am your host. And as a matter of fact, I'm one podcast behind. I actually have my podcast referencing a lot of the events at Wrestling Dentaku for New Japan Pro Wrestling that I believe I should upload today, again, being May 7th. Hopefully, I'll be able to do it in conjunction with this one. Again, as this is a hobby of mine and not exactly a lucrative career, I typically record these sessions when I'm in the car, and I've got about a 35-minute drive on my way to work right now. So with that in mind, we will try to jam-pack as much of this review of Backlash, the 2018 Backlash pay-per-view, the first dual-branded pay-per-view for WWE in well over a year. That wasn't one of the big four, again. So Survivor Series, SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, and WrestleMania, those were all co-branded pay-per-views. I can't remember if... No, Money in the Bank was not last year, actually, was it? I believe that was a Raw pay-per-view with Big Cass picking up the win. Or wait a minute, how did that work? Because Carmella got the briefcase for SmackDown. Was that a dual-branded pay-per-view? Maybe that was a dual-branded pay-per-view. Oh, boy. Now I don't recall. It may have been because they usually run a takeover event in now, I think starting last year, in conjunction with Money in the Bank. So that may have been one. Maybe that's the fifth of the big four, simply because the Money in the Bank match is such a big match in terms of what it means for the winner of that match afterwards, getting a title shot essentially at their convenience or leisure (laughs) and being able to cash it in whenever. Um, One of those individuals who cashed in Money in the Bank from 2017 in 2018 was Carmella. We'll talk about her in this review. We'll talk about the match between Daniel Bryan and Big Cass, um, both returning from injury, the severity of which differed, and the injury differed between the two of them. Um, But they used the injury storyline to try to pump up their match, talk about that a little bit, talk about Nakamura Siles 3 in WWE. Um, You know, I think that they're really kind of wasting what should be a fantastic storyline with those two. We'll talk about that and a lot of the other matches that took place, the Intercontinental match with Miz and Seth Rollins. Let's start off with that, actually, since that was the lead match. I'll try to go in chronological order here in terms of how they transpired last night. Uh, There was, by the way, a a match on the kickoff show between Bayley and Ruby Riot. That was won by Riot. I don't know what they're doing with Bailey. I think they're at a complete loss as to what to do with Bailey. I think that it's very problematic and is probably going to coincide with Bailey just continuing to be this run-of-the-mill performer in WWE. And she's not a bad performer, but they need to give her the absolute spotlight to perform. And I don't think she's ever really gotten that on the main roster. She got it in NXT. And she did well in NXT. She was able to fulfill it. She had the big match with Asuka. She's not great on the mic, certainly. But in the ring, she can put it together when given the chance. And I don't think the WWE has been all that fair with her in giving her the chance to show what she can do on the main roster. I think that they need to get her back into the main event. The other person who, from a women's perspective, that I think has also gotten the short end of the stick on the main roster is the other person that's involved in this feud being Sasha Banks. And I don't know if it's the the injury bug that there's this idea that she has or what specifically it is, but Sasha Banks also 
kind of on the back burner as it pertains to the WWE women's division on Raw specifically, let alone on the whole. I mean, they quite clearly are not sure what to do with her. And, you know, when you've got two talents like Bailey and Sasha Banks just kind of floating around out there without any direction, it, as a viewer, to have seen them with the four horsewomen in NXT and then be brought up to the main roster and just flounder is frustrating. Same thing with Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch is on SmackDown. She should be one of the top female wrestlers on SmackDown. Do you see her in any meaningful storylines on SmackDown? No, you don't. You really don't. And it's been that way for a while. And did she catch an injury you know, over the course of the last year? Sure she did. But that stuff happens. And it's not as though you're necessarily building up these other wrestlers. I mean, you've got Nia Jax, who, again, I don't think is as talented as Sasha Banks or Bayley. Because mainly, I don't think that she's got it on the mic either. So let's talk about that in just a second here, because she did have a match against Alexa Bliss on Backlash. But... I'm digressing a little bit too much here. I'm getting away from the main focus. In any event, Ruby Riot defeats Bailey on the kickoff show. Let's go into the main show with Seth Rollins and The Miz for the Intercontinental title. There was some speculation, and I, I looked at the previews for Backlash prior to the pay-per-view taking place. There was some speculation that The Miz could actually win this match take the title over to SmackDown, and then because the pay-per-views are now co-branded, it would be easier to switch the mid-card belts back and forth between the brands if they had to. So we'd have the Intercontinental title and U.S. title both on SmackDown, but that would be short-lived in that one of them would then transition back over to Raw. And the idea being that The Miz and the Intercontinental title are basically synonymous, so why not have him win it, bring it back over to SmackDown, and then put the U.S. title back on Raw, or at least have him run with it for a little bit. But that did not transpire. Seth Rollins did win the match, and they got me with a near fall. With that second skull-crushing finale by Miz, I thought that that was it. They were really selling the Rollins knee issue, and Rollins, of course, has had documented knee issues as he was out for a time with that blown-out knee. And, of course, I knew that was a work, but they were really selling the angle, and I thought that it could have happened. I really thought that the title change was going to come after that second Skull Crushing finale. It did not, as Seth Rollins won with what ended up being a pretty large curb stomp. <laughs> what do they call it now, the blackout? I mean, he hit it, and, I mean, literally, Miz's head was probably about where Rollins's hip would have been, just normally standing. <laughs> so Rollins jumps up in the air, gets his boot way up, uh, gets Miz's head down. Miz took it, took it pretty well. He took it very clean very clearly didn't smush his face into the mat and it sold it well and that was that i thought that the blackout was kind of a little bit out of nowhere i don't think that there was much in the way of action that was hurting the miz leading up to it i think that wwe has had that problem more specifically it's sort of the rko out of nowhere issue where there's no real work in terms of damaging the, the opponent or getting the opponent weakened prior to hitting the finisher. Sometimes there is. Sometimes there's a little bit here and there leading up to it, but in this instance, it was kind of blackout out of nowhere. Miz gets pinned. I think there's too much of that, too many you know, roll-ups, holding the tights for wins. Those are not my favorite pins, and that's what transpired here. And It didn't ruin what was otherwise a great match. It, it took it down a notch for me, but it was still a heck of a match, and 
the crowd was extremely hot in Newark for this match. I mean, they were molten when this thing started, and it was a great match to lead the show off with because you've got two really good workers who could go, who are in great shape, and know how to work with one another. So, fantastic match if you see it. And, again, now you've got to wonder where each of them go on their respective brands. Seth Rollins on Raw will have a run with the Intercontinental title, and having the title, of course, allows him to have singles programs with a whole flurry of different wrestlers. He's gone through Finn Balor. Um, now The Miz is on SmackDown, so it'll open him up to a whole new world. Hopefully that'll include Samoa Joe. I think, you know, Joe is involved with the match at the Greatest Royal Rumble. I think that he would be a really good foil as a heel for the face Rollins going forward on Raw. So I would anticipate the two of them having a program uh, leading into Money in the Bank. As for The Miz, he goes back to SmackDown. I would like, you know, the common logic says that it's because the Intercontinental title isn't there, he goes for the U.S. title. I would love to see him get involved in a WWE title program. Now, the problem is it looks like they might be starting to shift towards turning Styles back heel. And that, of course, would probably kind of wave off a feud with the ever-present heel that is The Miz. But we'll see. I, I would like Styles to keep the belt and remain a heel at this point and then feud with The Miz. And who knows, we've got a lot of time before next year's WrestleMania for that to happen. So it's not as though it necessarily has to happen here immediately, but I, I would really enjoy watching those two go at it. I think that they are incredible talents in their own respect. Next match of the night was Alexa Bliss going after the Raw Women's Championship, which she had lost at WrestleMania to the champion Nia Jax. I think everybody and their mother anticipated Jack's retaining here, which is exactly what happened. They're continuing the kind of the anti-bullying storyline that took place a little bit at WrestleMania, but here you had Nia really hit home the anti-bullying message in her post-match comments. It was a very okay match. Um, I, again, I think that Nia Jax is still kind of green to me in the ring. And Alexa, for everything that she is, is really, unfortunately for me, she's just too diminutive. She's kind of too, she's like a women, women's cruiserweight wrestler, basically. So you've got this little mite in the ring against this monster. And, you know, in men's, you can kind of sell some of that stuff sometimes. But you're getting close to, I mean, at this point, it would almost be, it's even more exaggerated. Than, let's, let me give you a men's example, like, current wrestlers, Finn Balor in there against Brock Lesnar. Okay. There's, I think that's on the edge of what you could perceive as believable in terms of Balor winning over Lesnar. I would think that, if nothing else, you would think that Finn Balor was at a significant, significant, significant disadvantage in that situation. And again, it's on the verge of where you're thinking to yourself, it, it would be literally impossible for him to win. And if he does, it, like, it just doesn't register with me because it's just not believable. And I think that you're sort of at that with Bliss and Jax in that how in the world is little Alexa Bliss going to do anything, frankly, to Nia Jax to actually cause a pinfall? It's just hard to fathom. So that's one of my main pro problems with that storyline. The anti-bullying message, too... It, it doesn't. It hasn't made for a great storyline. It's kind of a feel-good storyline, I guess. And I understand from a PR perspective how it's 
really important for WWE to get the message out there. I think it's a heartwarming storyline for kids specifically. But for myself as an adult watching the product, it really hasn't resonated all that much. I suppose if I had a child, I, I do have one son who's actually turning four very soon here. And, you know, if I felt that he was being bullied and he... I'm, I'm trying to get him into wrestling a little bit. Um, my girlfriend has a son who just turned six who's into it a little bit more. And if I thought one of them was being bullied and they saw the storyline and really enjoyed it, you know, that could certainly sway my perspective of it. And I do hope that, you know, kids who are being bullied and have seen the storyline kind of take to it. And not only kids who have been bullied, but the kids who are doing the bullying. But for me as an adult, it really hasn't, um, you know, struck a chord necessarily. So um, for Alexa Bliss going forward on Raw, I'm, I'm not sure where she necessarily goes. I guess maybe if she splits with Mickey James, they could have a series of matches. She would be a good foil for either Sasha Banks or Bailey if either of them remain heel. But it's certainly, you know, the slow burn to the Sasha Banks-Bailey feud still looks like it's transpiring. The main problem that I have at this point is that nobody cares about Banks or Bailey anymore. I mean, Banks and Bailey were huge, huge, huge names from NXT coming over, and I think a lot of people have lost the luster insofar as that's concerned. So when they actually do pull the trigger on that, I don't think it's going to be nearly as big as really it should have been. But I digress. Moving over to Nia Jax, she continues to be the Raw Women's Champion. There's always Ronda Rousey out there. But, you know, Nia's a face right now. Ronda's a huge baby face. Maybe they team up. Uh, maybe Nia turns heel later and Rousey wins the belt from her. I'm not sure how they're going to go about that, but that would seem like kind of a logical storyline at this point. Next match on the card, Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton for the U.S. title. Hardy ends up retaining in what kind of was, an, I guess, the equivalent of an OK TV match. You know, Hardy and Orton kind of delivering the hits, but they're two veterans that know how to go. Uh, they put on an, a, a kind of entertaining match. Jeff Hardy ends up ending it with a twist of fate swanton connection, which is perfectly fine. Um, I, I've never been a huge Jeff Hardy guy. Kind of like I've never been a huge Undertaker guy. I've never been a giant Jeff Hardy person. I know there are people out there that absolutely adore the Hardy Boys and think they're the greatest thing on earth. And for you people, good for you, thumbs up. Um, I'm not necessarily one of them. So, for me, probably not as fun of a match as it was for others. Um, but it was a good match. And I, same thing with kind of Orton. Orton, I've never really jumped into as a champion. I think that he is good. But when you look back in the pantheon of WWE wrestlers, great WWE wrestlers, the fact that Randy Orton is a, I think, double-digit time world champion is going to be sort of somewhat lost because I, I don't think that his name is one of those names that just instantly pops up when you think of wrestlers who kind of were at the pinnacle. Um, so we will see. I, I think that both of them very good wrestlers in their own respects and at one point were great wrestlers or at least were at the top of the card. I don't think I see either of them. Well, I shouldn't say that. Orton can always carry the belt every once in a while. I, I'm not so sure that I see Hardy in a WWE title program, um, simply because, really, more than anything else, not only is he getting up there in age, but it, because he can still seem to go, so I don't think that's really the problem. I mean, look at AJ Styles. But I think more so with him, it's the fear of what it is that he's going to do outside of the ring. And I think that's a legitimate fear. I think that's a legitimate concern 
for WWE. So going forward, um, Orton, I don't know what Orton's going to do. There's a lot of speculation that he's going to take a somewhat significant amount of time off in 2018. He's been working full time for quite a while now. And again, for a guy who is sort of, sort of starting to reach a time in his career where you know, he's made a ton of money, he's got to at least be thinking about retirement in the back of his head, or at least you know going part-time here for periods of time, it would not shock me if Randy Orton took some significant period of time off here in 2018, and maybe it begins now, I don't know. But it's hard to see him continuing at the same pace that he's been going. They, of course, have the tag match with Shelton Benjamin, and who was it? Was it Rusev that they tagged with? against Orton and Hardy on SmackDown. And if it was Rusev, I could see that potentially becoming a program. Um, Orton and Rusev, which I would really actually probably enjoy, even though the two of them have faced off previously, I think that that could make it for a pretty decent program. So maybe we'll see an Orton-Rusev program come out of this. We'll just have to keep our eyes peeled. Uh, for Hardy, he continues with the U.S. title, but again, I don't see him going into the main event. He'll continue to have some feuds there. Maybe Rusev feuds with Hardy. For the U.S. title, I'm not sure because this was basically a face to it was a face face match. I mean, Orton's, I guess you could say he's a tweener, but he generally gets face reactions. So, the RKO out of nowhere on Hardy was more, I think, viewed by people as a shot across the bow to say, "Hey, I want your title," more than it was any sort of sleazy move. Next match on the card: the anticipated return of Daniel Bryan in his first pay-per-view singles match since coming back. And it's against Big Cass. Yes! In 2018, Big Cass. All right. Um, <laughs> not everybody's favorite match in terms of who they wanted to see it transpire against, but it does happen against Big Cass. Cass ends up being a you know, mediocre at best wrestler, and I think that's even high praise for him. He's not a good wrestler. Not a lot of people like what he does. He's particularly not great on the mic. I think there are times where he can step it up, but he tends to trip over his own words. But the idea is let's get Daniel Bryan in there and see if we can't make Cass look like a million dollars. He looked a little bit better. I wouldn't say he looked like a million dollars, but he was at least serviceable, if nothing else. And Daniel Bryan ends up taking him out with the crossface to win that match. And a submission, of course, Cass then loses his mind after the bell, which is no real shock, and attacks Bryan and leaves him laying in the ring so that is a feud that will probably continue again the build to this feud as i alluded at the beginning of the co of the podcast was because everybody was wondering well how are they going to set up a feud between Cass and daniel bryan since when did they have issues they never even really hardly crossed paths when Cass was healthy because he wasn't on daniel bryan's roster for the most part and the move by wwe was to say that Cass was returning from injury on the same day as bryan and Cass's return from in injury was overshadowed by Daniel Bryan. And because he's a heel, he just got upset about that, generally. Which, I mean, if they had to manufacture something, I guess it's not terrible, but, I mean, it doesn't really make for a great feud or a great build to a feud. So, to me, it was a little problematic from that perspective. But Bryan wins. I, these, I don't even have to speculate on what the two of these guys are going to be doing going forward because I'm sure that they're going to wrestle each other again. That's pretty much what's going to happen. Um, you're going to have continued matches between Cass and Daniel Bryan, so just get ready for that. This is happening. Strap on your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen. Next match was Carmella and Charlotte for the SmackDown women's title. I, I don't like Carmella. 
I don't I don't like Carmella. I don't think she's a good wrestler. I think she's maybe slightly above average on the mic. But what I really don't like is when she just starts randomly screaming about stuff during matches. And that's pretty much what this match was. She was screaming a lot. There was your typical shady heel work from Carmella. But a lot of people, I think, not only believed but really hoped that Charlotte was going to win the belt back. It did not transpire. Carmella ends up retaining. And much like some of the others, I think this was a this feud must continue type situation. I, they built Charlotte up as somebody who broke Asuka's streak, and then she goes out and loses a one-on-one match with Carmella the subsequent month. I mean, that's... You know, talk about a head-scratcher. I, I really don't know what to say about that. But Charlotte can get it done in the ring. She's above average on the mic. Again, I would say she's not at any sort of apex on the mic, but she's good. But she's very, very good in the ring. And hopefully we see the belt back on her sooner rather than later. But I think that these two will continue to go at it here for a little bit of time. It's just a matter of whether or not another wrestler gets involved. Maybe Asuka. So keep your eye out for that. But there definitely will be more Carmella and Charlotte Flair in the near future. We then had the WWE Championship match, which I think should have closed the show. I don't I have no idea why this was the third to final match on the card. Whoever threw that together. By the way, the card actually ended up leaking on Twitter prior to Backlash taking place. It was on paper. It showed who the producer was going to be, who the ref was going to be, and who was wrestling in kind of sequential order. And sure enough, that was the actual order of the card. So whoever, somebody took like a shot of it on somebody's desk and uh, put it up on Twitter, and that ended up being the correct card. So they laid this one out third to last. Again, I don't agree with it, but based upon kind of the lackluster match once again and the result... I suppose maybe it should have been the third to last match because it just wasn't up to snuff. And this pay-per-view kind of took a nosedive here towards the end. The problem is you got that such a hot opener with Miz and Rollins and the rest of the matches just couldn't live up to it, including this one. And we're still waiting for that great AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura match, but I think you've got to let it marinate. You can't, I mean, these guys have had three matches now in the span of a month with each other. And this was supposed to have been, you know, allegedly a dream match heading into WrestleMania. And then you've got to work two more matches immediately afterwards. I remember when you had Okada Omega in 2017 in New Japan. And people were complaining that you were firing those off too quickly. Between Wrestle Kingdom 11, then Dominion, then the G1 semifinal. And those were more spread out than this. I mean, this, these are completely clustered in the span of about 30 days three matches it's, it's nuts so you, you know it loses again it's sort of like the repeated finisher it loses its luster you can't do it or the fans aren't going to buy it you've got to spread these things out more but i digress they had a, a third match in wwe their fourth match overall and it was again something that had some good work in it and then this one you know when i said earlier that the finish of rollins and miz didn't completely disappoint me to the point where the match was a failure this one almost did this one was significantly closer because the double low blow count out is just such come on i mean what is this it's a lame finish it's it's an incredibly lame finish didn't need to transpire that way 
two guys that can really work in the ring and you could let work based, based upon the shape that they're in and their stamina for you know, 45 minutes to an hour if you really wanted to. And this is the finish that we come up with on the third to last match of the night. Come on. Come on. They, just, they haven't gotten the time, I think, one. And two, maybe let them lay out the match a little bit more. I think I can tell just by having seen these three matches that they've got some input, but they're not the ones who are laying out this, this match. And I, I think you sort of need to put the creativity in the hands of AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura to really let them go. I think that their matches are being too babied by those who are producing the match. But that was the finish. A double count out after a double low blow. So nobody wins this one. But then again, you know, because nobody won this one, the feud must continue. But again, you know, we've got Shinsuke having lost a couple of times now. But what's the point in continuing the feud for Shinsuke Nakamura? Why should he continue to be one of the main challengers for the belt at this point? I, I really think that if they were going to do a title change, this was the time to do it. They were supposedly setting it up, or you can kind of see them setting it up with the no disqualification because Shinsuke has been the one to initiate all the low blows recently but it doesn't transpire. Then you wonder if they're going to turn Styles heel because he did a low blow, and you know he was just frustrated for everything that Shinsuke had done, but you can see the frustration starting to boil over, and he's starting to engage in heel tactics again. That would be interesting if he went that route. And what would ultimately be interesting is if they formed some sort of partnership or stable again with the club now that they are on SmackDown to something like that. But, I mean, I don't really have much faith that WWE is going to pull that trigger anymore since they've had ample opportunities to do it and never have. I mean, they had the Balor Club deal when you had the Good Brothers over there on Raw, and they did it for, what, like a couple weeks? And then they totally dropped it. So I don't think that they're going to take that route, but I am intrigued, if nothing else, to see what they do with Styles and whether they turn him heel. I'm starting to lose interest in Nakamura. And, again, I think a lot of that's on WWE creative. So if they want to pull me back and they want to pull a lot of people back, you know, please do it. I think Shinsuke Nakamura is very, very talented, but I'm losing interest in what's going on with him right now. Second to last match on the card was the tag with Strowman and Lashley versus Sammy and Kevin. Not going to talk about spend a lot of time in this. It wasn't a great match. You had the big hosses win with Lashley with the big suplex where he puts the opponent up in the air for a period of time, gets him down. You know, I I don't know really what they're doing here. Lashley has been completely uninspired since he's been on the main roster. And, again, I point to creative on this one. They haven't really given him any mic time. I mean, give the WWE Universe a reason to care about him. And the only way you're going to do that is by getting him on the mic. I, I don't care if you think he's overly vanilla or the mic isn't his thing kind of like a Lesnar, but you've got to either have a mouthpiece come out for him or give him a mic because right now he's just some muscle-bound guy who we're supposed to believe is a face going out and squashing guys. I, but, you know, again, it's not a Strowman-like build because it hasn't been organic. And not only that, but the build for Strowman was better because Strowman's better on the mic. Strowman's got a personality about him that I think a lot of people have has really shown in the last 12 months. And that has caused a whole bunch of people to take to him that may not have otherwise. The problem with Lashley is Lashley's a longtime vet. I mean, Strowman's a young guy who came out and showed he had a personality. Lashley is a vet who doesn't have a personality. You've seen him for years in Impact. He doesn't have one. He's okay, and he can wrestle, 
and he does well in the ring well enough, but you got to give people a reason to care, especially in WWE where that's so important, and they haven't really done that with him. So I hope that they turn that up. Sammy and Kevin, the eternal heels, will probably be squaring off with one another again shortly. That was teased a little bit during the match. But I hope that one of them, I hope maybe Sammy gets into an intercontinental title program and that Kevin eventually gets back into the universal title scene. But who knows, with the ever-absent, instead of the ever-present, the ever-absent universal champion, Brock Lesnar, who knows when that's going to transpire. Sounds like he'll be back at Money in the Bank, but yeah, let's let's not keep our fingers crossed. Um, final match of the night, which there was video showing people walking out during this match. It didn't. It wasn't like some mass exodus, but there were some people going to the gates. It was Roman Reigns and Samoa Joe, and again, this was a non-title match. There's no title involved here. It was the person who, you know, controversially maybe should have been the Universal Champion, but wasn't in Roman Reigns uh, against the. His big foil, actually, recently, Samoa Joe. Um, there were there was some speculation that Joe might win this match. I, I know I didn't do a preview heading into this pay-per-view, but I was never really of the volition that Joe was going to win this match. Not after Reigns having lost to Lesnar in the form and fashion that he did at WrestleMania, and then again at the Grace Royal Rumble. I thought it was extremely unlikely that you would see Reigns go down to Joe here, and of course he did not ends up winning the match against Samoa Joe with a spear. And I don't know what WWE is going to do about Reigns. but And I, I know that their whole thing is, well, as long as he's getting a reaction, it's good that he's getting a reaction. You know, let's, let's see what he does with this reaction. People, people aren't reacting to him in the form and fashion that's indicative that the person's going to make a good wrestler. Okay. So it, it, he's getting worse reactions and more apathy than Cena ever did. So, you know, I know Vince stuck with Cena, and he stuck with Cena, and Cena turned out to be a great babyface for the company, the ever-present kind of Hogan-esque WWE babyface, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen with Reigns. It just doesn't. So, at some point, I'm imagining he's got to pull the trigger. I think the only thing keeping Vince and the rest of WWE creative from pulling that trigger is the fact that he's selling merch. He's one of the top merchandise guys. If it wasn't, if he wasn't in the top three in merchandise, I think they would pull the trigger. But he is. Not by a lot, I don't think, but he is. So, you know, if they see his merch sales really start to dwindle and he goes outside of, like, the top five, I think then you could see the trigger get pulled to the heel turn. But I, I think Vince is as stubborn as a mule, and I think he's going to continue it until he's blue in the face. And apparently he's not yet blue in the face. Um... So Reigns will hang around that Universal title. I expect him to be the guy to take it off of Lesnar. I don't know when in the world that's going to happen. Um, at this point, I suppose I would guesstimate SummerSlam. But, you know, you've got these times where you really should do it. And the worst part is if you're, it's one of those situations where you look at it and you say, well, you really shouldn't do it. But if you're going to do it, you should do it here. And then they don't even listen to you then. <laughs> it's like, well, we know that you're going to do it. But now you're just screwing the entire thing up. So... Yeah, I think Vince is so gun-shy because of the reaction Reigns gets. But again, if you're gun-shy because of that, turn him heel in any event. Reigns is going to continue in that main event role. He'll probably tag Lesnar here soon enough. The other involved wrestler, obviously, being Samoa Joe. As I stated, I would hope that Joe would start a program here for, with Seth Rollins for the Intercontinental title. I think that's extremely likely considering the fact that they were both in that fatal four-way at the Greatest Royal Rumble. So 
those two I could have some excellent matches in the near future. And eventually we're going to get Samoa Joe and AJ Styles, which I'm more excited for than Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ Styles um, because of their history in TNA and Impact. If you want to go take a look at any of those, maybe it doesn't Impact have some streaming service now. Uh, maybe get that and take a look at some of their past matches. But that would be something really, really fun to, and special to watch in WWE if the two of them were able to lock up. And who knows, Joe could go against Bobby Roode now. You, it's like TNA galore, and then you've got Sanity coming up. We get AJ Styles and Eric Young over on SmackDown, and then Samoa Joe and Bobby Roode over on uh, Raw. So, you know, we'll see how this all works out. I, I think that Backlash is a pay-per-view with subpar, but it did set up some possible storylines going forward. I, but again, some head-scratchers with Nakamura Styles, Carmella, and Charlotte Flair. You just sort of wonder what direction they're taking with some of these in, in pulling these belts because I think that they're placing belts first of all on champions that shouldn't have the belt for a period of time being Carmella and then second of all keeping belts on champions that although they're really good champions the belt needs to change for the sake of the storyline like in Styles Nakamura um, so you know we'll see what creative's got in store it's always a, a crapshoot always leaves us guessing but we're always, for whatever reason, apparently wanting more, and that's what WWE relies upon in their revenue. So I hope that everybody has a great rest of the week. Thanks for hanging out with me while I was able to record this quick one, and I will be back hopefully later in the week uh, to talk about some continued storyline advancements and what's going on in the world of professional wrestling. Brendan Dennis signing out.